What's up, guys? Four Corners here, back with another episode. We're going to be previewing the Northwest Division today. And uh, you're joined by myself, Rayvon. You can find me online at Rayvon Hackshaw. We also have Peter, uh, Bucket Since 88. How you doing? Doing great. Getting closer to the season every time. Man, I, you know, training camp has started. We can feel it. Cool, cool. Uh, have you guys been, like, affected at all by, like, the tropical storms of late? I know they kind of, like... Oh, no, I went to Florida. Missed, yeah, they missed you a little bit, but yeah, that's good. I'm glad you're glad you're okay. Uh, and we have a guest this week, uh, fresh off of my personal history and friendship. So, Joe, what's going on? What up, guys? Um, glad to be here. Cool, cool. So, uh, to start us off, we uh, basically just asked you for like a, kind of an introduction, just how you became like a fan of basketball, how you became a fan of uh the he's an oklahoma city thunder fan so how'd you get to that point i mean we all kind of grew up in the dmv so yeah it's a it's a bit of a funny story actually back in the back in the day grew up in a military family moved around a lot didn't really have many in the way of hometown teams so uh mm -hmm. i think when by the time i was in dc i wasn't really a fan of like any strong sports team it was mostly just rooting for whatever the, whatever my dad rooted for which at that point was way, way, way back, and I had no real roots to, because we didn't live there, we didn't get to go to the games, and all that. Uh, but I remember, I have this distinct memory in like middle school, because uh, where we were in the DMV, we were not far from where Kevin Durant originally went to high school. And this was like pre-iPhone era even, but I remember somebody had like a flip phone, or what, I think it was one of the slide out phones actually. The they had this like extremely grainy video of, uh, of Kevin Durant just cooking up this uh, this high school gym and uh, absolutely destroying everyone as as you'd expect. And I just kind of uh, vaguely followed his career from there. And then by the time he got through Texas and and into Seattle and they had the conversations about, OK, they're going to move over to OKC. I didn't really have any uh, Seattle roots at all, but I was mostly just a fan of him. And then uh, at the same time, one of my dad's team that I rooted for big in college was Georgetown and they they had a uh, Jeff Green was one of the the best players of that generation for them. He was a really, 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 really big player. Went I think fourth or fifth overall, yeah, uh, and ended up on that same team, um, that Oklahoma City Thunder team. And it, it turned into a kind of thing where I was like, all right, man, I'm really uh, th th there's a lot of players here that I like. Maybe I should just start rooting for this team. And it, it kind of grew over time. There was definitely some uh, uh, very rocky starts to that because uh, that was I, I think the first season I started watching them with any regularity was uh, the um oh who was that italian dude they had uh they were they were awful uh, is the point though it was pre-scott brooks uh prior mm -hmm. to any of that really being built but then they stormed onto the scene pretty much immediately and were in that contention mode for years and years and years and years and really just followed the team ever since cool cool yeah i mean i'm always happy to uh shout out a fellow maryland local and kevin durant um that's kind of how i became a nuggets fan is like with mellow kind of being from maryland i was like oh yeah ty lawson you know he's from maryland so i was like uh let me not be a wizards fan let me go hang over here with a team that can win games i will uh, say great failure of the uh the university of maryland recruiting that like ty lawson carmelo anthony kevin durant that list like that's just the top of that list that list it's really on hot and on and on and on and those dudes did not try to recruit any of them was, michael beasley oh yeah like just just name after name that they would have been destroying college but hey it's not here they, they got one at least they, they got one natty yeah yeah well it's uh good to have you so yep. 
today we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna break down the Northwest Division, and we're gonna start with Minnesota, the uh, Nuggets of the North, basically. Uh, Tim Connolly at the helm, fresh off of his stint in Denver, making a bit more money over there, a bit more, you know, control that sort of thing. I'm super happy for him, and. Um, they're moving forward ahead with this sort of Twin Towers lineup with Carl uh, Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. And uh, I mean, and Peter, I'll focus to you first. I mean, I think that's like the big, this is kind of the big tipping point for them as far as like how successful can they be? How much do you believe in that? First off, how much do you believe, I guess, in two big lineups in the NBA in general at this point? And how much do you believe in them specifically as a duo? I like it. I mean, I think you gotta you gotta take risks, right? Especially when you're a franchise that doesn't have a history of winning. Um, you know, I, I've made the point over and over again. When you're trying to improve your basketball team, it's not like going to the grocery store and shopping for ingredients and you can just make your dish better. You know, not everything is always available. So when a player like Rudy Gobert comes available, you have to look at your team and say, could this work? And I think Conley made a calculated decision like, hey, you know, this is kind of an unconventional move, but I just don't really think Cat is a center. So let's put more of a traditional center next to him, um, hopefully keep him out of foul trouble more and keep him more comfortable on the court. And, you know, for all the people saying that it can't work, I mean, that's to be determined still. But I think there's also a lot of positive value in just having a fresh start sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think that jazz situation, you know, so many people knew that it wasn't going to end up well. And I think now you can really see from the quotes and everything, like Rudy's really seems to be enjoying himself. And, you know, obviously that like happens with a lot of teams where it's like you have the honeymoon phase, but I mean, I'd be surprised if they don't come out of the gate, you know, ready to go, really trying to make a statement, you know, because they just, I think Rudy's got a lot to prove. You know, he's he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but he probably want, figured he was going to be a jazz man for his whole career. And yeah. uh, now that's not going to happen. So typically in sports, once a player gets moved, it's usually downhill from there. So it's going to be interesting to see if uh, if he's going to be able to still play at a really high level, because, you know, the type of player he is, you know, guys that can't shoot typically doesn't age well. Yeah, I mean, it helps that he's seven foot two, maybe, but, you know. Uh, at least compared to, say, certain point guards that we've had in Denver in the past who can't shoot. But, um, yeah, hopefully, at least for them, he can kind of find a role that's going to be, you know, consistent and he can do the things that are within his powers offensively. Um, Joe, as far as, like, I don't know how you – I'm kind of curious, Rudy kind of coming from the Jazz and that situation that we talked about last week with uh, Donovan Mitchell, at what point – uh, if you ever believed in them as a duo, did you feel like this was turning south? And uh, going forward, I guess, how much do you put that on Rudy? How much do you put that on Don? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing because I think they, uh, uh, the way that they constructed that team back in Utah, I always thought was kind of fundamentally flawed. Mm. Um, it, it, the way they had it by the time you get to the playoffs was. Every ounce of that defense needs to fall on Rudy Gobert's shoulder. Every ounce of that offense needs to fall on Donovan Mitchell's shoulder. And obviously, they, they did a lot in the last few years to try and bring in guys like uh, Conley and Bogdanovich who could like at least help alleviate that load. But if you look yeah. at like who 
who's a guy you can get the ball to when a playoff defense is set that can create offense for your team. They really had almost nobody but Mitchell that could really truly create. And I think that's that's inversely true of Gobert. They had nobody that you could rely on to shut down an opposing an opposing offense. So I think I think there's a I believed to a degree, I think really prior to make them making some of those moves to go after a guy like Conley and, and invest a ton of cap and resources in guys that are, I think, on the older side and more of the the limited players, more of the the they can play a role guys, but not as many guys that can yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that those two players alone would ever have been enough because those two players also have uh pretty giant holes in their games. I mean I, you can't say enough as much as I, I Rudy Gobert in every right is a Hall of Famer. You don't get, what, four defensive players of the year and not make that? Um, That's not going to be a funny conversation. <laughs> it is definitely going to be debate. But I think yeah. eventually it's it's a it, – it, for how relatively young he is, too, to be at that stage. That's just – it's almost unprecedented. Basically, no defensive players hit those types of milestones that early in his career. But – if you look at the complete lack of usage in, particularly in the playoffs offensively, because it's not just the the that you can't like. I mean, you never expect that type of guy to be a face up, um, uh, break people down off the dribble or or right. hit a bunch of outside jumpers. But you got to expect at least, hey, if if the other team is going to throw a one a two on you on a mismatch, you've got to at least be able to get him inside. I draw a foul, like, like get, get in and crash that o- offensive glass. And the, the, the complete lack of trust they had in building any offense that relied on him to do that, I think speaks a lot about what he is capable of. Cause they, they tried that thing again and again and again. And I don't think they ever really got past, I think a very rudimentary configuration there. Mm. So kind of swapping Donovan Mitchell almost for D'Angelo Russell in this case, do you feel like Russell is going to be, do you feel like it's going to be better? You know, is he going to be like willing to throw him the ball more than twice a game? Uh, Or is that even going to matter? I think it's not even going to matter because it's not just that it's a missile for Russell. You've got three uh, pretty, I'd say two very good and one decent offensive creators on that Minnesota team. D'Angelo Russell's no, like nobody's, He's not, he's not going to be an all-star. He's, he's not going to be an all-NBA player, but he's fine. He's like mm-hmm. a totally – he's definitely overpaid for what he is, but he's a totally fine creator. Um, I, I think some of those Utah teams could have benefited from having somebody like him that can at least create something out of nothing occasionally. But a, I think what they're really banking on is that Ant is going to be a, like, next-level superstar, like somebody who can really hit the levels that Mitchell was at. Because I, I, I think people – the, the the playoffs of the last couple of years have left a bad taste in people's mouth with, with respect to Donovan Mitchell, but we can't forget what he did in the bubble. This, this is a dude who's shown that he can, he can perform at levels that like, like the all time greats perform at in the playoffs. And that's something to value. Ant hasn't quite proven that, but he might. And Carl Anthony Towns alone is like, he's, he's an offensive supernova. He's like one of the most talented offensive players in at minimum this generation. You can make an argument for, for some pretty all time looks. I think they have way more options offensively. I think it's going to be really interesting because a lot of this, I think, they, uh, Peter, what you were saying about you can't, just, you can't just pick and choose the same as everybody else does because, I mean, it, it, there, there's scarce resources there. Yeah. Uh, they zigged. They zigged when everybody else is zagging, and we'll see if it pays off. But it's going to mean there's some, I think, more than any other team, some fascinating defensive matchups to watch. I mean, who do you put Carl Anthony Towns on when you're playing – 
uh, the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs, when you're playing the, the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs. I just don't I don't know how you line that up. And I think they're a team that is uh, leaning all in on, hey, we, we know that this guy that we're building around defensively has flaws, but we can get around them. It's just a question of uh, do they expose themselves in, in another capacity, I think. Yeah. yeah. Ray, I think when you – there's a couple of things that stand out to me about this team. So in the matchups we saw last year with the Nuggets, they swept the Nuggets last year, and the Timberwolves are really big and they're really athletic. And now they got even bigger. And what I think that's going to do is that is going to be a recipe for major regular season success. So I actually think that there's going to be a lot of sort of repeat of what happened in Utah, which is those teams almost always had the one or the two seed. And, you know, I don't know if they'll get that high, but I, I do think they're going to be top four if they stay healthy. Um, yeah, the, the two main questions are going to be, does everybody buy in defensively? Because, you know, they weren't a top defense last year. They were actually kind of out of the playoff picture for most of the year and then sort of came on late as Ant kind of got more comfortable and got better, more adjusted to NBA basketball. You know, they're going to blow a lot of teams out this year, just pounding the glass. And when they get hot from three, my biggest question is going to be, what are they going to look like in crunch time? Um, you know, the other top teams in the West in crunch time have Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Kawhi Leonard, these types of players. The Timberwolves are going to have Ant, D'Lo, Cat. You know, Cat is not really a guy that's like creating his own stuff. Mm -hmm. um, D'Lo is just not on the same level as those other players I mentioned. So how good is their offense going to be by the end of the season? You know, we all know we have a lot of respect for Chris Finch. I think he'll have a lot of good stuff for him. But if you remember that playoff series against Memphis, there were a lot of games where the talent was pretty, pretty comparable and Minnesota was even ahead and they just weren't able to close those games out in the fourth quarter. Now, a lot of that is just being young. And so I think, you know, getting more reps will help. But that's my biggest question about this team going forward is in a close game, what are they going to look like? Yeah, that's definitely interesting. I mean, I I feel pretty confident in Chris Finch's ability to kind of make things work offensively and, you know, find mismatches and, and do whatever they need to do. But I do think the question is, like, can they step up on defense? Are they, you know, for example, is Kyle Anderson going to be the starter there? And if he is, and I would understand that, how do you cover, like, are you going to put Rudy Gobert on Andrew Wiggins and put Cat on Draymond Green and then try to work something off of that? It could. I, I, it's funny because it just, I don't know what's going to happen. It, to your point, Joe, like zigging and whenever we're zagging, it's kind of unpredictable in, in that way. I think there's a lot of volatility there and maybe even just like a matchup-based, um, you know, differences in where, how far they can go in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I'd argue I, they're they're extremely well equipped to deal with certain types of teams. Like if you if you if your offensive fulcrum is a big, I you got to run through Rudy Gobert now. That's going to be like that's 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 a much harder team to to contend with. If everything you do is perimeter oriented, wing oriented, I I just don't see. If you, if you look at their roster, who who's the guy that they're throwing out there to stop a uh, uh, Kevin Durant, a LeBron James? Not that they're going to run into all those players all that often, but even anybody when in that. Even in somebody like an Aaron, in in somebody like an Andrew Wiggins mold, somebody who's not like, I if if Andrew Wiggins is scoring twenty five points a game on you, you're in trouble. You're going to lose that series. And I, Kyle Anderson, I I guess Torian Prince. 
Yeah, I, those I, are kind I of think the they have really high hopes for uh, Jalen McDaniels to turn into that guy for them on defense. That'll be interesting yeah. to watch because he's what th- going into his third year now. Um, yeah, uh, but it's just been a question of if he's that guy on the wing and your closing lineups have him and you got to have cat out there and you kind of got to have Gobert out there unless you're playing somebody who's really small it just becomes a question of like can he can he keep up keep up with the i think faster versions of those players but mm-hmm. i do think there is a lot of risk of something similar to what ha- happened in utah happening where a lot of those perimeter players if they don't it, I think there was a lot of frustration coming from Rudy Gobert towards the end with how easily players were just dying on, on defense, like players that have tools and skill sets. Donovan Mitchell is perfectly capable of, and was a a damn near plus defender for like a season, season and a half. There's a guy that's, he's big athletic. He's rangy. Mike Conley has every tool in the tool set defensively. He's a little smaller. He's a little undersized, but he knows not, he knows how to stay, how to navigate a screen and, and not get crushed. But dudes are just giving up at the point of attack again and again and again. And I I just don't know. It, maybe Jaden McDaniels can fill that. Kyle Anderson isn't a bad defender, but he's slow as all hell. Uh, what are How much do you trust in crunch time, D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards, to, to really stay in front of guys and not die? That's that's where a lot of that effort level comes from. You guys know better on Chris Finch, but that, that's going to be a big question to me is is how, how can you get the, the, the little things cleaned up? It's funny. You know who I think is going to play bigger minutes than I think a lot of people expect? Peter, you might know who I'm thinking of. Are his initials AR? Yes, they are. Austin Rivers. Because <laughs> I just think he's a guy who, as much as... He's you know, not afraid. He's not afraid of the moment. He has that experience. And I think he is... Um, whatever his limitations might be physically, he's not the biggest guy. He's not the longest guy. I think he is a on the cusp of being in the NBA in such a way where he's always going to give effort. And I think that's also just kind of his mentality. Um, and, and I think on top of that, PJ Dozier, I mean, it's kind of a pickup for them that I was kind of hoping he would come back to Denver and, you know, maybe March or something, you start to see some rumblings about him, you know, signing on, but uh, nope, he went to Minnesota and uh, he also have a, has a relationship with Tim Connolly as well. I'm sure. So I, uh, I wonder how much those two are going to factor in kind of going forward. I mean, Ibrahim Forbes is also a guy he brought back, but I don't think he's like the defender that we're talking about. No, I think, um, I guess to wrap things up on Minnesota, you know, what Joe said at the beginning is what keeps sticking out the most to me is like Anthony Edwards, what kind of player does he ultimately become? Because he's still really young. I think we're kind of already at the point where like, plugged in NBA people almost expect him to be an all-star next year. Um, He was top 25 NBA rank ESPN. So I'm not going to expect that out of him this year. I won't be surprised if he does get there, but when you think about how fast players rise, you know, I remember I read somewhere years ago, they said that superstars don't wait to become superstars. You know, every once in a while, you'll get a guy like Jokic who like really kind of gradually got there. I think he made Mm all-star his fourth year. Kawhi Leonard kind of a guy like Wade yeah Bloomer. that's that's rare usually it's more the John ja Morant type where like you can tell right away like this guy's pretty special and yeah. uh Ant Edwards kind of seems to be on that trajectory what's going to be interesting to see is does it translate to playoff success I guess the one parallel I'll make is um Dwayne Wade drafted in 03 same class as Carmelo he's mm-hmm. in the finals in 06 already best player on Miami like that was a really fast come up and um but he was also a junior when he came out so he was older at that time 
already in its maturation than, than Ant is. So I don't expect the Timberwolves to make a deep run to like the Western Conference Finals or even the Finals. Uh, but if they do, it's going to be because Ant Edwards has really like arrived. Yeah, I'm pretty opt. I don't know. If, uh, I would. I don't know what to expect from them in the playoffs, to be honest. But I do think they'll be in that like not the play in. You know, I'm pretty confident they'll be in the firmly and comfortably in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and you know, I always think about as far as like superstars who've been like day one. Oh, you know, this is like the guy Anthony Davis. As much as I'm critical of Anthony Davis. Uh, I kind of knew just like, oh, yeah, he's like seven feet tall. He's uh, making all these passes. He's playing great defense. It was watching him in the Olympics, even like before he had stepped onto an NBA court that I was like, okay, this, you know, he might not be the GOAT, the greatest big man of all time, uh, but, you know, he's going to be up there. Do you, uh, do you want to transition to Oklahoma City? Let's do it. Cool. Cool. Well, I mean, I think, um, I mean, I don't know, Jody, I don't know if you want to preview this, but like, I feel like Shea Gillis Alexander is kind of like the number one, I mean, object person that we're going to be talking about here. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of curious as what your expectations are for him this year on a team that's, I don't know what, I don't know what Oklahoma City expects in, in terms of like how productive they can be and how far they can go. That, the expectations is a really good way to think about it because the I, I will say, I think uh, internally in the organization from a lot of the things that Sam Presti um, and, and uh, people around him have said, they this is not a team that expects to be trying to lose for basically at any point in the future. They are now at a point where they think they have enough talent on the roster and, and if you look at the sheer number of first-round picks they've selected, the, the number of first-round picks that are on the roster, it does become a question of, yeah, they're going to play young guys, and those young guys are going to be not very good because they're inexperienced, and, and they're going to lose basketball games because of that. But I don't right. think this is a team that you're going to see regularly doing what they were doing in the last year, two years, where they're uh, dredging the uh, G League for anybody that has and shows any sign of a pulse to grab any talent they can. Mm -hmm. Presti had a quote about how they're they're at a, they're at a place where uh, last year they were they were searching out anybody they could to fill out the roster. This year they're going to have to cut legitimate NBA players. Now they, these aren't this isn't the cream of the crop we're talking about. Um, and, and I got to stress they they're they're over under on the season. I think is like 23, 23 and a half wins. And I I that sounds about right. I I think especially with Chet going down, that's that's a big big blow to I think the potential upside for this team, because I don't think they were ever going to be even in the play in conversation, but I think they had a, they had a friskiness that's available. And I think people underestimate just how good uh, Shea is, just how good Shea is, just how good uh, a guy like Chet could be and, and the type of hole that he fills in that team. But yeah. I, I think my expectations for him are almost entirely contingent on health. I, I, I don't think that the, the team that the way that they're built, they have any expectation of competing at a high level uh, I do think that they are going to put as much talent on the floor as they can. It's just going to be a question of, of that talent's going to be young. Um, and I think one thing that they will, that you will see that's going to be interesting, Shea's got the MCL spring that may or may not hold him out to the start of the season, nobody's sure, mm -hmm. is if he picks up ticky-tack injuries, hey, this is a team that I think is going to be comfortable saying, hey, listen, take your time. You don't, You can take an extra game or two to return from this not in a way to actively tank, but because there are frankly now guys on the floor that they need to develop. 
that uh, that at your Giddies, your Jalen Williams, your other Jalen Williams, you've got guys that you're going to want to get shots. And if if Shea can take another game off and let somebody else try to run the show for a game or two, um, it could be good for their development. And we saw a lot of that last season with Dort, who I think uh, was a, a almost a meme and almost exclusively a meme on that Chris Paul led team. Uh, but has now reached a point where he's a he's a very legitimate NBA player and showed off some offensive creation skills last season just by virtue of kind of having to that mm-hmm. I, I, is a it, it's a valuable skill set to unlock. So, yeah, I mean, I think I was going to ask you uh, when Dort signed the extension, did you feel like that was a commitment to say we want you to be a part of our future or did you kind of feel like it was a value play like? this guy let's get him locked up because this guy is like the kind of guy that's really valuable and gonna be sought after and we can maybe get a piece for him down the road oh it's definitely both it's definitely both and you can't i I, i'll never look at anything that that organization does without they're always going to have an eye on the future i think they're they're well aware that they the path to any major free agent signing in that city is so 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 slim that they need to have not just the covered stocks with uh draft picks but a roster flexibility in a way that they were looking for a guy like Dork for years and years when they had that uh like exactly that guy they know right. exactly how sought after a guy like that is and how useful he could be to a contending team i don't think they trade him away imminently but i i think that extension a lot of people blanched at it because they were like oh this guy's not that good he's not that good which yeah that's that's neither here nor there i think on the exact number i, I think people just haven't fully recalibrated to how much the cap has gone up um, you pay about $15, $60 million to get a good starter. And I think he's a good starter. I think mm-hmm. that the more interesting thing is if you look at the, the number that that puts him at, it puts him at a number where it's very, very easy for a contending team to trade a mid-level salary for him. And also very, very easy to package him in a bigger deal to get a bigger salary. He, he's kind of right in that middle range where I, I think they knew exactly what they were doing uh, in terms of uh, in terms of trying to construct a, a, a contract that could be used in many different ways while also keeping a valuable player around. I will say one subjective element that I think is important. Him and Shea apparently are like very, very close um, now. Okay. Uh, and we'll, we'll see just how much that, that matters. But, but keeping a guy, keeping your best guy happy does matter to an extent. I don't think that's, that was a major element of their decision-making, but it certain, certainly doesn't hurt uh, to know that if, if this is going to be a, a scenario where we're going to lose games for whatever reason, at least you got somebody um, from your country, from, from, that understands you a little bit. That's that's on the same timeline as you. I, that that does matter to a degree. Uh, making sure that at least the experience is a little bit positive. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's that's funny how you mentioned uh, they were looking for a guy like that for years. I remember uh, some of those really good Thunder teams. They were struggling. They had like thirty-six-year-old Derek Fisher as the oh, fifth yeah. guy a lot. It was, I was like, man, if they could just get a, a little bit better fifth starter, this team would probably get over the hump. Uh, but yeah, sometimes that's how it goes. It, it's hard building rosters in the NBA. But no, I agree. I, you made all good points. I think I think the plan is to keep them. And uh, yeah, you can't you can't overlook the the being friends with with one of your best players, especially if you want to keep that guy in the fold long term. Uh, one thing I was really impressed with last year is it seemed like Shea and Giddy played really well off each other because it oh. seems like either of them are good enough to be your lead bond handler. But it never really seemed like they were they were stepping on each other's toes. It seemed like they had it figured out really well playing together um do you like uh do you like there's those two guys minutes being paired up equally a lot or, or would you kind of like to see them stagger more so the other guy can run the bench because i know trey man was playing well too in that role 
I think eventually they'll get to a point where they're staggering. If it, it provided both, I think both of those those, those players could be on a, a very uh, a very high caliber team. In order to get there, we're, we're a long way off. I, I think in the meantime, it's totally fine to have them overlap because I think they, one, again one of the things that that last year they kind of had to uh, both handle the ball a lot because there really just wasn't that many ball handlers to go around. Like, we're so, Kendrick Williams was running the show for a good good bit there. Like, that's yeah. definitely <laughs> a good time for you. For your team um so so a lot of that was i i think out of necessity but but i think long long term i can see both of them being lead ball handlers uh 1a 1b type guys um i think in the short term it's really going to be whatever the moment calls for and having them overlap a little bit and both play together and both try to develop some off ball skills at the same time is going to matter because a lot of the guys that they're they're bringing up uh, i and i think one of the guys that the organization is is really excited about uh, from everything they've said is J-Dub, Jalen Williams, the 12th overall pick um, out of Santa Clara, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, kind of a late bloomer. He, yeah, a late bloomer. Um, definitely not a guy that I, I, I think anybody looks at as having mega upside because of that, but also a guy that probably needs the ball in his hands a little bit more. He's an offensive creator. He's an engine. And I think having more of those guys, more people that can generate offense, I, I think it's not lost on, on the team that the last generation of successful um, the last generation of successful teams that they had really only ever had two offensive creators. And that made it very, very difficult anytime uh, I, they went to the bench. Right. And really anytime uh, the, a flaw in a game could be exploited. If you can match up in a way that makes it hard for Russell Westbrook to get to the rim, all of a sudden a, a massive chunk of the offense dies. Um, and the... Yeah, that's a great point because it seems like a lot of times the um, the blame always got put on Scott Brooks. And I was like, kind of look at the roster. I was like, well, wait a minute. Who else is supposed to create here? Like exactly. KD and Russ were basically like that was the best option was to just give them the ball and get out of the way. I mean, yeah. Steven Adams isn't going to create anything for you. Um, one player that's always really intrigued me is Darius Baisley. Uh, when that guy's playing well, it just seems like he – I really like the idea of his game, but he just seems like he floats a lot. Like he's oh, got yeah. a lot that's- of Trey Lyles in him. Like I, I just don't know if, if he's always going to be a role player or if – do you do you think he could make a significant leap forward? I I really don't see him making a big leap. He's a, a lot of Thunder fans have a lot of discussion about him because you're right. When when he's on, he's on. And and he's a good he, athlete. I'm trying to think of who the good comparison was in like the the 13 14 Thunder. Um, oh, who was that rookie they signed? They, they got. Um, hang on, I'm looking up his name. Perry now. Jones. Perry Jones, the man Perry Jones, who floated around and every time he he had like two 30-point games, and everybody was like, that's it. Perry Jones yeah. arrived. We've got the, like, 3-4 switchable guy that we're going to play next to Kevin Durant. He's going to do all these things. And Basie checks a lot of those boxes. He's, he's kind of what you physically want in a kind of prototypical 3-4 uh, do-it-all type guy. But the floating is absolutely a problem. There it, there are times where it seems like he just doesn't give effort. Uh, and I what I will say on a, on a very simplistic level is – he gets thought of as, I think, a younger player than uh, uh, than he is in some respects. He's 21, but he's three seasons in. And a lot of those tendencies you would hope to see even out pretty pretty quickly after three seasons. Your point about a, a, a superstar, it doesn't wait to be known. I don't think he's anywhere near or a, even like at the, the all-star level uh, of that, um, that tier. A, a, we would have seen more than we saw. And I will say uh, a lot of people have been waiting a very long time for his uh, shooting touch to come along uh, because a, a lot of his game, a lot of that prototypical, prototypical player in 
uh, the league today, you're just required to be at least an average shooter. You can't be a bad shooter and be that guy unless you want to be strictly a bench guy. And through three seasons, he's not been a good shooter. He's, he's career 30%. Uh, and under 70% from the strike. So not not a lot of touch there, which really hurts his long-term prospects, I think. The guy he reminds me a little bit of, just in terms of like what I think he should try to model his career after, is Aaron Gordon. Like, freak mm-hmm. athlete who isn't really a shooter, but can be really good on defense and just kind of, you know, clean up stuff around the basket. I think if he... He if he really buys into his role and just realizes like he's never going to be a guy that's going to get the ball a lot for like main touches, I think he could be really effective. But he's just going to have to be more aggressive because yeah, like we said, he just floats so much, and you know when that happens, you're just kind of a waste of a body at that point if you can't hit shots. So it's going to be interesting to see what how they use him this year and uh, if he's able to improve it all because I still think he's got a lot of potential. I think so, too. I think he's probably one of the top candidates to be off the roster by uh, the trade deadline as a candidate for, hey, does somebody think this guy is interesting and want to take a flyer on him? Because, again, we've got, like, uh, what, 15, 16 guys that we we uh, want to get minutes and, and only more draft picks coming down the pike. So it's one of those – we I think there's a version of him that would be great. I think it's kind of unlikely that version – winds up on the thunder but but to your point with aaron gordon i could definitely see another team stepping in and saying hey you're going to come in here zero percent of this is you being a star hey, you're going to play this role in these spots kind of similar almost even to what bobby portis did with the not to, they're different types of players but what bobby portis did when he came to the bucks and had a hey you got to take these shots you got to play this role defensively and kind of constrain that role and take that physical profile and just apply it to the, the elements that make the most sense hmm. that makes sense uh, do you feel like there's going to be a certain point where Oklahoma City makes like that sort of a consolidation trade? Do you think they're looking for like, hey, this next superstar is you know unhappy or, or what have you? Or do you think they're more looking at like they have a lot of picks? Do you, do you think they're more looking at them as like we can find that next great star in the lottery? There's definitely uh, there's definitely hope about the next race are in the lottery because that that is just the best way to get somebody for for seven years uh locked up and and guaranteed to be around for for a certain amount of time seven to nine years every single time but i will say um there's a it's very very difficult to develop 15 different players at once you kind of you kind of have to have defined roles to a degree and you can only experiment so many times um it's why things like the poku experiment are probably going to be uh, on its last legs here to, to where if it works, great. If it doesn't, we got to roll the dice again. So I think they're willing to do that. I, I think one thing that for as far as a consolidation trade goes, if the right opportunity arose, if, if this is a team, and this is why one, I was very excited to see Chet, and I'm, I'm sad that he won't be there. I, I could have seen this team being frisky, outplaying that over-under to, to the point, not where they're, again, in the, the contention for play-in, but in that that 30 to 35 win space where they're they're a dangerous team. They're, they're not somebody that's going to get walked over every night. And that then becomes a team where, hey, you make a run at the right time and the right player becomes available and you can make a big leap pretty quickly. Um, I, I think I can see them being a candidate for that type of player if they become available. I, I will say with Mitchell on the move, the list of quote-unquote disgruntled stars at this point is very, very short. Yes. There are not a lot of guys. like The, the, the market in that respect is barren. And I will say, uh, the the to your point about consolidation, you can't select that many guys in the draft. There's just not enough roster spots. But a lot of those right. picks are so far in the future 
that they don't have a lot of defined value yet. If you don't know if that pick is a lottery pick or a top five pick yet, mm -hmm. then it's kind of hard to get a appropriate value back or to plan a draft strategy around that. So I think what they're going to do is, is a lot of the moves they made, they made a trade with the Knicks this year where they basically kicked the can down the road to say, hey, we're going to get next year's draft pick instead um, uh, at basically no cost. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of that, a lot of really small moves of constant shuffling of value this eight-man trade they just had where they basically just shuffle things around to, to punt a, a draft pick to a further in the future. You're going to see a lot of that to where they keep that coverage stocked so that they're ready to open it up uh, when they need to. But I, I, I just don't see a, a – I, it's not the right time yet. Maybe next season um, and maybe when somebody else becomes disgruntled. Yeah, we saw that with uh, the Nuggets and the Jermichael Green trade, right? To so the Thunder, it was basically yeah. this year's first and the Thunder got a future first out of it. Um but yeah, you're right. It doesn't make sense to make a consolidation trade if you don't have defined roles. Those trades are so hard, though. I mean, oh, yeah. we've been talking about how the Nuggets have been trying to do that for years. Um, then they finally make one a couple years ago with Aaron Gordon. And then sort of again now, Monte Mor uh, Morris and Will Barton for, for KCP. Uh, I think the Thunder, I think what's going to happen is in that, in that position when you're a small market team, it's not so much that you get to go shopping even if you have a lot of assets, it's more like there's always going to be teams that start running into salary cap problems and you can't pay everybody and they've done a good job. And then it's like, well, now they got to trade a guy. So Oklahoma city is in a great position because of their cap that they can take on. I'm thinking of a guy like Deandre Hunter's coming up for an extension in Atlanta. Maybe you end up trading Baisley and stuff for him that's just like an idea. I'm not saying like they should do that just like as an example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the kind of trade that would make sense where you're getting the best player back from the deal. Might not be a huge trade NBA wise, but when you already have some building blocks in place, like, uh, like Giddy and uh, SGA, you know, those, those trades can really sort of bump you up a tier. So yeah. I definitely think Presti's got his ear to the ground and looking at all kinds of different situations like that. I know that, uh, you know, Memphis is starting to have those problems where you can't pay everybody as well. So it's definitely going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Um, it, it's such a bummer that we're not going to see Chet play this year because I think, you know, we got glimpses of some excitement in Summer League because what I was going to ask you is, you know, impossible to answer right now, but, like, do you think they view him as a center long-term or more of, like, a cat, I got to play the four long-term kind of player? I think it's going to depend on how he takes on weight because if he doesn't, then you just you can't risk that that amount of contact. It's less even about the the, the defensive uh, activity in terms of shot blocking because he uh, uh, I, that that doesn't so much take a toll. It's the rebounding. It's the it's the the grinding down low with a a backup fives who don't care if they uh, a, they take a shot or you get an elbow. You, you got to be you got to be very resilient to pull that off. Mm. I think they're not I they want to remain open and flexible. I think they would do it either way, depending on, on how he pulls in. But I think it's also easier to find a guy in that mold where um, I think it's easier to find a guy who can't play the five defensively, but can play the five offensively. Your Julius Randall types and go ahead and say, okay, Hey, um, uh, we can slot check uh, right next to that type of guy. And, and kind of uh, uh, take someone who has a severe shortcoming and kind of clean that up. And I will say he's a I, probably his best individual skill isn't post defense. It's weak side blocking, which mm. you always want to have that guy at the at the four if you can. He's got that um, wingspan. 
that just helps. That just helps so much. And it's, it's the wingspan. It's the timing. I'm really sad. We're not going to see him this year. I think he's going to be, uh, I, I think though, even a year in the organization to build strength at, uh, with NBA trainers and to, to get comfortable with, uh, if not the, the speed, because you can't do that when you're not playing at the structure of NBA offensive defense and to learn from, uh, uh, I think, some of the people in the coaching staff. I think that it's, go, it's going to go a long way. The interesting conversation is going to be, and I know you, I, I, I said you might want to take a break here, um, so I can maybe leave it at this. Uh, I, they're going to be in contention for the number one overall pick. And the, the, the really, uh, uh, I think, funny scenario is you go out – you get the number one pick, you get one banana, and you just put these two pogo sticks next to each other and you say, hey, we're going to we're gonna just go length for length and say, we don't really care if you're bigger because uh, you're not getting anything anywhere near the rim. It's funny that you say that because that's actually exactly the thing I was thinking about in terms of like, maybe you can consolidate for like a Kevin Durant, maybe he becomes unhappy or whatever. But honestly, they could afford to get one banana. Like whatever it takes, I think they could probably make that happen. And it would be an interesting uh, just like move towards, I have this theory about the future of the NBA, even at large, where it is just kind of a longer league. You know, we've kind of seen small ball dominate in, in a certain way, but I also think that if we move away from maybe like the plotting big men of the past, but also add a lot more just like length and, and on the perimeter and on the interior and, work out how to utilize that offensively um i think that's going to be a really interesting sort of development uh before we go though so i have one more question uh before we go to break i mean <laughs> sorry josh giddy best hair in the league uh oh yeah uh poor man timothy chalamet thank you i mean i i have to respect it i i, I agree i agree uh, so we will be back in just a moment and we'll talk about the uh, Portland Trail Blazers. And we are back. So first thing I'll say, uh, Peter, Portland, do you feel like they're our rival still? Do you feel like that's still a thing? Mm. No, I mean, I, I kind of feel like they peaked the year they went to the Western Conference Finals three years ago. And, is this like you a, know, Dame's still there, but uh, I, I don't think they're rivals. I mean, I hate them. I still, you know, love love to beat them, but I don't know. If this is a I, I feel like rivals is better for, like, if you're kind of going in the same direction. Yeah, I think it's like the, the Marvel quote where it's like, you took everything from me, and then we're just like, I don't think about you at all. And that's kind of how I feel <laughs> about uh, right like Portland to some extent, but I mean, I still think they're going to be a good team. So they've, they've got Damian Lillard still. He uh, should be recovered from uh, like a long-term core injury that he's been working through that he just had surgery for. So that should be interesting to see how he kind of bounces back in that way. They've got Jeremy Grant. They've got Yusuf Nurkic still. They've got Justice Winslow. They've kind of put together, I think, um, you know, and along with Anthony Simons, kind of a, they didn't do a rebuild. They did a retooling. So it'll be interesting to see how far that can take them. Um, Joe, I'll start with you. Are you kind of, I mean, do you think this is going to be worthwhile for them as far as, you know, can this take them even a step further than where they've already been? Or do you think this is something more towards like 
kind of keep just kind of treading water as far as the Western Conference goes. I, I mean, I think practically they're going to be treading water just in that it, the Western Conference is incredibly competitive and the the bar for success is very, very high beyond that. Like, like it, it's it's doable to get into that eight to ten range. Once you start talking about even getting out of the play in like the, the quality, the caliber of team that you run up against is extremely high. Um, so I don't think that they're going to be uh, contenders this year by any mean, but I also think people, especially when you look at team building as a long-term exercise, people underestimate the value of remaining at least in the conversation and competitive. I always think about what the Raptors did a couple, uh, when they won their title, when they got Kawhi, you don't get that. You don't, uh, put yourself in that position unless you prove that you can be semi-competitive year over year. That's that's kind of a, a prerequisite to having a, somebody look at you as a serious organization, is having a, a groundwork foundation of at least some success. Now, what remains to be seen is is whether or not the engine of that success can can keep it up. And I think I I really hope that Dame is healthy and fully recovered from that core injury. Um, I, I, the, the NBA is better when he's. Uh, hitting big shots and he's it's one of the biggest best biggest and best playoff performers of our generation i i'd be thrilled if he's back to himself and i really hope he is because um I, I he's 32 this season i think uh and yeah. i i provided he comes back healthy i think they're going to be good but if there's any remnant of that injury and if there's any even just slowness coming back to it after uh so long off of the court um it's hard for relatively small guards to stay successful for a very long time. There's a reason Chris Paul is kind of one of one in that category. Um, so I don't know. I could see them being successful. I don't see them getting further than I think competing in the play in tournament at, at best. I think that'd be a success for their season. Um, that and Anthony Simon stepping up and really becoming an all-star caliber player. I think that's going to be the two things they hope for. Peter, do you think the, um, you know, along with that, do you feel like the, uh, Two-part question. A, do you feel like Jeremy Grant's learned anything from his experience in Detroit? And B, do you think that is going to parlay to any kind of like elevation for him on this team uh, as just kind of like a core piece going forward? <laughs> you know, I'm really not sure if he learned anything at all. I mean, I think he wanted to get paid and he wanted the ball. So mission accomplished on those two fronts. Mm -hmm. Secured the Didn't get any wins. Um, I think what he realized because you know he had a really interesting interview with zach Lowe uh, a while back about how it is in detroit and zach asked him you know is basketball a lot different when you're the main option and the defense is geared towards you and he's like oh yeah it's way harder so he definitely did learn a lot about how to attack defenses so now that he's back to sort of being a 1a or even like the third or fourth option in an op in an offense that's going to have Lillard, Simons, and Nurkic around him, maybe he'll be able to eat and, like, be more efficient. But he's just never been a super aggressive player. He's always kind of been like a, you know, shoot some threes, you know, one dribble, and then put it up or pass it. But he's never been a great dribbler. That's what separates, like, good players from all-stars in the league, right, is, you know, he's about the same size as Paul George, but Paul George can handle the ball much better get by to the, get to the rim or stop and pull up on a dime. Jeremy Grant doesn't play like that. So he's a good player. He helps them uh, offensively and defensively. I actually think they have a pretty solid top five, top six players. They're just very, very thin. 
So if this team has any injuries to like one of their main players, I think it could be a rough season for them. Um, if this team wants any kind of uh, success, you know, in the short term, whether it be this year or in the short term future, they really need uh, their first round pick shade on sharp to hit. I mean, this guy's a complete mystery. He was like number one ranked player in the high school class, elite athlete, and then just decides, you know what, I'm not going to play basketball for Kentucky. I'll just practice with the team. I don't really want to get hurt. And then, you know, funnily enough, he's hurt right now. So he's not going to start the season, I think. Yeah. Um, who could have predicted? But, uh, yeah, I mean, Portland, they've got they've got a lot of young pieces. Uh, their first-round pick from last year, Keon Johnson, didn't really factor. So you, you hope that he he got better over the summer. Um, pretty sure the Blazers won summer league. So they definitely have young pieces that, that can contribute and, you know, maybe – be big in the NBA. I know they're really high in Naz Little. Um, you know, one guy I'm, I'm definitely going to be rooting for is uh, Jabari Walker, the Colorado product. You might like watching him too, Ray. He's got a little bit of Kenneth Reed in his game. Oh, nice. I do, you know, one of my favorite players I was uh, Kenneth Reed in high school. So, yeah, that'll be cool. Um, to your to your point, Joe, about the, like, thinness of it, I do feel like particularly in the front court and at the center position, they're very dependent on the help of Yusuf Nurkic to kind of be their rock sort of from a rebounding from my physicality perspective, where I feel like, I mean, yes, if they lost Dame, it will be bad, you know, for, for a period, but you still have Anthony Simons. You still have, uh, not that Gary Payton is putting up big numbers, but you still have, I think they have a lot of guards and forwards and perimeter oriented players who can step up to some extent, but, um, it's, you know, it's Yusuf Nurkic or it's Drew Eubanks or it's Oliver Saar. And, you know, I don't think Nicole Jokic is looking at that team like, oh, this concerns me. No, I think if they're going to make waves this year, it'd be more interesting if they honestly, and, and to a degree, they're going to have to do this because they know that Nurkic is not going to be on the floor for 48 minutes a game. It's going to be interesting to see if they can construct something five out. I've always thought mm-hmm. that Jeremy Grant, and not in a, uh, you can't necessarily do this in a long-term role because he doesn't quite have the, I, I think the body for it. But but absolutely a guy that can run some uh, minutes at the five. He used to do that uh, back in the Thunder, and I, I think he in a role where he has less less of an offensive burden on his shoulders, I think can expend more of that energy on defense if you get that buy-in from him. And if you look at a five-out lineup that has guys like Simons and guys like Lillard and granted the five, and it really slot whoever you want up there, three and their four, uh, is that Justice Winslow and, and you get a little bit of defense out there? Is that Shaking Sharp and you get him actually uh, cooking with the uh, the new kids, a Jabari Walker, uh, if you want that bit of rebounding? A- any of those, those guys can kind of as slot in. Um, and having that one, two, and a five who can shoot is a pretty rare combination. So uh, doing that in in at least some uh, uh, minutes, I think, could be an interesting opportunity for them to try to light the scoreboards up. At least they're not going to uh, uh, defend much at all with the lineup like that. But I really I, the burden on Nurkic is going to be pretty absurd and for a guy who's been as injury prone as he is, as successful as he is when he's generally in the floor. I just don't think you can count on him playing 70 games deep in the playoffs at this point in his career. I think he's shown what he is in that regard, which is a valuable contributor, but probably better better as a part of a rotation at center than than your featured guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting. They'll be fun. 
I think, you know, a lot of pace, a lot of space, a lot of room to operate for their offensive pieces. Um, but similarly, I don't know how much I have more I have to add. Do you guys want to move on to Utah? Can, can I point out one last hilarious thing about Nurkic? Okay. Do you guys remember a couple of years ago um, in the bubble after they got swept by the Lakers, how he kind of went on a tirade and they asked him if he was going to be back. Like, and he was we'll like, see. I don't know. That's up to my agent. You know, yeah. and he's a clutch client. Oh. And, uh, you know, he had a year left on his deal. And then it's like he had like not a bad, not a great year. But basically, I guess things either something changed in his head or it got mended with the organization. But it's like he basically got brought back and now everything's supposed to be all good again. And it's just funny to me because it's like I think he wanted out at some point and then maybe realized there was nobody else to dance with. So yeah, he's still a blazer, but I think if they're both being honest, I don't know how thrilled they are with that partnership. It definitely like the, the, how many teams are on the hunt for like a center who needs to be a big part of your offense, who kind of wants the ball, who's going to get paid a pretty decent amount. I don't know how many teams are looking for that to be fair, especially if they're not that like superstar level guy. Well, it, it's just it's a it's a strange conundrum about basketball, right? Because it's like he does all these things that are maddening as a fan, and you're like, man, if he could just do this better, just do that better. But then whenever he's hurt or can't play, they completely crater because you need a big body that can rebound, that can play defense. And uh, whenever he's been on the off the floor, the Blazers have just completely fallen apart. So they really do need him. Yeah, flaws and all. For sure, for sure. Uh, so. Utah is going to be bad. Oh boy! Jazz I mean, fans. that's I don't know if that's a you, hot got, you got to be a diehard Jazz fans to get league pass this year if you don't live in Utah. Yeah, I mean, it'll it's kind of like uh, it's like a we'll see what we have kind of year for them. I think is is what they're going to be looking at. I mean, I think Laurie Markkinen that kind of pickup. I think he's the kind of guy who, you know, he's had an interesting sort of resurgence in his career over the last couple of years. Uh, kind of playing more small forward in Cleveland and maybe he can kind of translate some of that into something fun. I, I don't know. They've still got my Yeah, can I be honest? I mean, for if you look at all the recent superstar trades, like the last five years, mm -hmm. I kind of feel like that's one of the better returns we've seen, especially since Mitchell isn't even considered like an A-list superstar, you know? Right. I mean, when the when the Rockets traded Harden to Brooklyn, who was the best player they got back? Probably Jared Allen. And they didn't want him, so they just sent him to Cleveland. It's like you got Colin Sexton back, who scored twenty four a game a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, his his career is still sort of to be determined. And then yeah, Markinen has shown flashes um, and was in was in a lot of weird lineups last year. But that team was pretty good whenever he was healthy. And then he had a really good Eurobasket. So. Yeah, marketing still got – now he's kind of on a blank canvas team with no pressure. I think he's going to have a good year. Yeah, and they've got some vets. They've got, still got Mike Conley. They've got Kelly Olenek. Um, they've got Stanley Johnson. I think they've got some guys. Ochai Abaji is going to be interesting as far as players who they can play. I don't know if they're going to win a lot of games, but – They got Jared Vanderbilt. They do have Jared Vanderbilt. Um, and Malik Beasley. Well, yeah. I mean, if you go down that list, it, it is a team with it, – it's going to be interesting um, to see what Ainge wants to do because they have, I, I would say, probably, what, like seven or eight guys that at minimum could be con 
contributors, real contributors to real good NBA teams. I, I don't think Laurie right. Markkinen is probably going to be a star in this league, but it, uh, do you think the, uh, the I don't know, the Bucks wouldn't mind taking a shot to see if he wouldn't be the, the next Brooke Lopez for them? I, I seems right. definitely go chomping at the bit to get a guy like Malik Beasley uh, at the deadline, just, just with his shooting touch and, and how much of a flamethrower he is. Like They've got all these guys that have uh, the makings of something, um, and they haven't they haven't quite gone full fire sale yet. Obviously, the two big guys are gone, but they have a lot left that they could potentially move. What I found really right. interesting was that uh, that Bogdanovich trade because they didn't get all that much back for him, um, and it seemed more like they it seemed that they had chopped him a little bit longer, waited the trade deadline. They could have gotten more picks, but but when you start looking at the market, there's not that many picks left. The 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 draft pick consolidation between the top three or four teams, and the, I think the devaluation you see from contenders where they're willing to to chuck out. The two two draft Four, picks, five. three swaps, yeah, the full the full package for any major player. It means that there's just not all that much left to go around. And yeah, you can get a you can get a a, a, a first for all these different guys, but but it's gonna start drying up in terms of uh, who's available. So I think what they'll wind up in is playing a lot of legitimate NBA players and probably winding up, I think, a little better than people think. I don't think they're gonna be great by any means, but like I think they'll be in the the 25-26 side of the win, uh, uh, the win sheet, unless they really start opening up the trade market, which, hey, who knows? If Danny Ainge wants to go scorched earth, they they have guys that can play for other teams. Right, and I they, they do. And, uh, you know, Danny Ainge has a reputation of being absolutely ruthless. And uh, I'm really interested to see what happens with a guy like Mike Conley. I mean, this is a guy who's, He's universally known as like a good guy around the NBA. He doesn't seem like the type that's going to put up a fuss and be like, get me out of here. But if you look at his contract, he's making like 30 some million this year. I want to say he's guaranteed for 14 million next year. It's just not a very attractive contract. And if he really wants out, Danny's going to be like, well, you're going to have to, you know, come down on that money, you know, buyout or like, the teams he's talking to trading from would be like, well, are you going to agree to a lower number for next year or something? So, you know, technically that's against the rules, but we all, we all know what happens because I think as the season goes on, it's going to be very clear that teams that are trying to contend year, next year, namely the, the Mavs and the Lakers could really use a guy like Mike Connolly uh, handling the ball for them in the backcourt. So maybe that still ends up going down and uh, you know, Ainge is just trying to, get the Lakers to a more desperate point where he can get the best deal for a, a Westbrook Conley swap. Yeah. we might see that at the deadline. I mean, I, I do think they're in that conversation where like, Hey, maybe they can get the next great French big man in, in Bayama. So maybe they're like, right. yeah, Rudy Gay, go over to LA. But, but the, the, the guaranteed, else. the guaranteed 14 million on for next year on Con, on Conley's contract is really what holds it up because mm-hmm. the Lakers want to be a player in free agency, yep. right? It's like Westbrook's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. So if you trade him, you don't really want to bring any salary back that's on the books next year, unless you're trading him for like Kyrie, which they tried and you know didn't happen. So, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see it. He might end up playing the whole year for Utah. Who knows? Yeah, he might. You know, he ends up in like a New York or Miami. I don't know. It's there's also who knows something to be said about the fact that a buyout requires him to agree to it. And, and I've heard a lot of players talk about the fact that there's a uh, and players and people around the league talk about the fact that there's a stigma around being a buyout guy. I mean, 
once you're there, you're there. And that that's kind of, you're not getting big money at that point, uh, unless you have a major, major resurgence, which you can't really count on. I, I don't know. I think um, knowing that he has that, it, so what is it? It's got to be close to 40 million guaranteed over the next two years. That's a big bullet to bite for him to not only say that, yeah, I'm going to give up a lot of that money and, and, and get into the buyout market and also go ahead and uh, uh, associate that stigma and, and kind of hit on that future earning power. I would be a little bit surprised if um, it goes that goes that direction. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if somebody ends up sending a little bit more than we think is reasonable to get a guy like that. Because I will say, um, there's just not a lot of uh, experienced point guards in the league in the pl- in, with deep playoff runs like him. Um, and as guys that can, he started his career not as the guy. He became that guy for a little bit, and and now has taken that backseat. He's only a year removed from an All Star. I, I you can debate the veracity of that All Star uh, season. That was a, a bit of a hey, let's toss another one to Utah. Uh, but also sneakily shot forty percent the last three seasons, I think overall. Yeah, he's a good shooter. He can mess with anything you do. He's still capable of playing defense as long as you don't make him the the primary point of attack defender. I, I think basically any contender would be thrilled to have a guy like that on the roster. Yeah. Yeah, my heart skipped a beat when he put up that three oh. at the end of game seven. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> at that point, you, you you put your life in the hands of the basketball gods and uh, you, I don't know, you pray. Uh, but yeah, yeah, what a fun series. I mean, I think about, as far as your point about buyout candidates, I think about DeMarcus Cousins as a guy who is like, he's very talented, obviously, but for a number of, reasons he has he's in this space where like he's not on a roster right now and i don't think teams are necessarily looking at him as anything more than you know kind of a minimum contract guy despite his talent despite him even last year kind of helping denver a lot and you know being good in moments for teams so it's the same thing happened to, to mellow there for a minute where he was out of the league for what a full season before he yeah he pulled the full like will smith uh it like it was, it was, it was rough. <laughs> it was rough, and I mean, it, it's not like he came back and set the world on fire, but he was a real contributor. He was like a legitimate asset to those teams uh, yeah. in a limited role. But I don't know. The, I'm kind of surprised he isn't back in Portland. They could use another body. Yeah. Uh, I that'll be an interesting thing to watch. Has he? He hasn't officially retired yet. I assume. No, he has not. No, he's looking for somebody. I think that'll be interesting so. to watch. But uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I think Utah's not going to be fun basketball for anybody else to watch this season but i also think that uh, they're gonna they're gonna throw up more hairballs uh, uh than people want to deal with until they start moving some of those some of those players and the sheer number of semi-capable players they have even guys like rudy gay who could play a role even guys like kelly olenic who i i personally detest um just because of how ugly he is uh but uh <laughs> uh these guys that can legitimately play uh, uh on any team uh at least a limited role they've got a lot of those guys agreed agreed for sure yeah they'll they'll have some nights where uh where clarkson and and beasley are hitting threes and sexton's getting to the rim and going off and they'll beat some good teams this year just when they get hot you know some games you don't expect to drop but this team's not not going to win a lot of games. Uh, there's no way they get to 30 wins. Can I? Um, they're, they're they're trying to go for a top five pick. Can I give you a, a comp for Kelly Olynyk? Uh oh. I feel like he could start. He could play in the next like Scooby Doo movie as Shaggy. Hmm. See it. I don't know. Shaggy that works out. Yeah. Shag- oh yeah. He'd have to like 
lose some fitness, I guess, but uh, I don't know. Um, do you want to touch on Denver real quick before you wrap up? Yeah, just want to get uh, Joe's thoughts on the Nuggets. Yeah, I mean, just from like an outside perspective, um, we ha- we're biased, so, you know, it's always nice to hear our, you know, critiques or phrases or whatever. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the uh, it's easy to say that that all of the things that should, all of the boxes you want checked are there. Um, Jokic had incredible season in the last two years, uh, proved that he is capable of muscling that team up to an incredibly high floor, uh, which matters a lot. I think at the superstar level to know that you have somebody that, that keeps you competitive any night against any team. There's just, mm-hmm. there's a very short list of guys uh, that that's true of. And I think uh, he's a guy that I, you have to build around in a particular way, I think, because he is a, is such an atypical uh, an atypical big. And I think they've done a really good job doing that. Um, from the outside, it seems like a tremendous amount rides on Michael Porter Jr. And I, I think the talent there is all there. And you you could you can absolutely see a vision where he's all-star, even all-NBA eventually. Um, but I, I think that that's going to be it's exactly the back injury you didn't want to see. And you just, you have to hope that the health is there all season. Um, yeah. And you can't, you can, you can't really know until you get through and actually play some, I think getting KCP was really good. I, I obviously not exact positional overlap there, but, but getting any more wing depth seems like it was a good idea knowing that uh, I, again, you're going to be uh, in a spot where you need more guys that can play off of uh, uh, Jokic. Um but to me, I think the thing people are underestimating is the return of Jamal Murray. I mean, I, I say underestimating. I think the over-under on this team is 49 and a half wins. I I, I would have crazy low, right? I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think they might they might punch a touch above that. Um that's still a high, that's a high bar to, to contend with. But I, I think people really underestimate just how the, the trajectory that Jamal Murray was on. It took him a little while to really grow into his role. But that's another guy who talk about your your unbelievable playoff performances has shown that he can hit shots against just about anybody. So I, I think that that combination of shot making that they have there, and I think the insurance almost in knowing that, hey, we have these two guys that, that are coming back of a big season-ending injuries. Um, you can never guarantee that those guys the year after are going to come back and light the world on fire. So knowing that there's there's some overlap in terms of offensive production that, hey, if Porter Jr. needs to be needs to be brought along a little bit slow because his, his, he's still got those back issues, or if, uh, Murray's knee isn't quite right yet. You've got the you obviously got Jokic to fall back on, but you've got each other kind of in a way. And the long term vision, provided everybody gets healthy, a, a, a final five in the playoffs of of what Murray, Porter, Jokic, I, KCP probably slots in pretty well there as a a, a defensive uh, uh, shooter. But uh, then it's really whoever you want to pick out of that. I assume Aaron Gordon's there, but if you want to go small and match up against somebody, you can go small and match up against somebody with bones. Um, if you want to go big. <laughs> I guess you could play DeAndre Jordan. The the only baffling move that I saw there um, uh, uh, over the summer. I, I really don't get how he fits in at all. Uh, but that's a guy that everybody seems to love. Uh, so apparently he brings the immaculate vibes. Like apparently he is just like the nicest face. guy. And uh, he and Jokic and Jeff Green, they went to like a Dodgers game the other day. And he went out of his way to like get them personal jerseys. And he just seems super nice. And he is a center. I I have I have slowly come around on that on that concept that like hey he'll rebound he'll 
dumb, probably, you know, I'm not, and, and kind of to your point earlier, they do have a lot of options. So they don't have to play DeAndre Jordan if they want to play Zeke Najee at center, if they want to play Jeff Green at center. They've got a bunch of guys for that. They've got Bruce Brown. <laughs> I see Peter cringing a little bit. Uh, Bruce Brown is probably a guy who is kind of in the same boat as KCP as far as like, you know, he was in uh, at media day the other day saying, oh yeah, I play one through five, which on some level, I find any time somebody says that, it's, it's a little, except for like three guys, maybe that's kind of cap, but uh, they have a lot of options. I'll say more than most years. And hopefully as long as everyone remains um, healthy. I will say- I feel pretty good. You know? Bruce Brown is an interesting one to think about because he, he and Gary Payton, uh, the second are probably the two most ideal guard fits in the league next to Jokic in some respect, right? Like guys that can hit their yeah. own corner threes, play hellish defense on the outside, don't need the rock, but also cut and play. Because when you got Jokic at the top of the key, you kind of need somebody in that dunker spot to to really take advantage of those backdoor cuts. And, I think, and he has a lot of like big man yeah. traits. It'll be interesting to watch in particular just his three-point shot because it's been so erratic. I uh, mean, mm -hmm. it was only the one season, but he shot 40% last year. I mean, 29% the year before, before. So you don't really know which version of that you're going to get. But if you get the version mm -hmm. that that hits, that cans all his corner threes and, and plays that defense, um, he even showed in the, uh, I, I think, in the darkest part part of uh, Brooklyn season this past year that he can do a little bit off the, a little bit if he put, puts the ball on the deck. He's not a he's a capable scorer if you ask him to. I think he's a really interesting guy to mesh in that uh, same uh, kind of KCP um, uh, secondary uh, tertiary role to where you can let the let the stars who can light it up light it up and then then just let let a guy like that kind of do all of the dirty work. Those are important guys to have. Yeah. Um, cool. So I think I think that wraps us up for the Northwest Division. Uh, Joe, it's definitely been great having you. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, Peter, Joe, did you guys have any like parting shots before we you know head out? No, I think we covered the division pretty well. Yeah, nothing on my end. Cool, cool. Uh, so as always, we appreciate you listening. Yeah, again, you can find me online on Twitter at Raven Hackshaw. You can find Peter at Bucket Sense Eighty Eight, and you can find the podcast at Four Corner Pod. So uh, we'll see you next time.